6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of 2 Timothy, chapters 3 and 4. Second Corinthians 5.10 For we must all, that's we, we the believers, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. That doesn't determine salvation. It's already assumed if you're there, you're saved. I'll show you the next in 1 Corinthians 3. But Paul, just to talk about 1 Corinthians 9 for a minute. Paul says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. What? Paul says, I myself should be a castaway. Paul was paranoid. Was he afraid he was going to lose his salvation? Of course not. He wrote the book on that. Romans 8 and elsewhere. He knew he was saved. That's not his concern here. He's concerned that he may forfeit his inheritance. That may I preach to others, and I myself might be a castaway, have missed the mark. 1 John 2.8. John says a similar thing. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Can you be ashamed? Apparently, it's possible. Do not be ashamed before his coming. And Hebrews 6, 11 and 12. We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Through faith and patience inherit the promises. You're not talking about salvation. You can't earn your salvation. You're talking about inheritance. Made more clear in Hebrews 3. For we are made partakers of Christ. Partakers. That's that word metakoi. A partaker. For we are made partakers of Christ if, big word, if, we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. You want to hang on all the way through the end. Medicoi. The word means those who share in, companions, comrades, partners in a work, officer, dignity. If we hold the, the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. So we need, there is a part of this picture that you earn. Not your salvation, that's a gift of God. I should be more precise. Not your justification, that's done by Christ, 100%. So, anyway, Paul continues in 2 Timothy. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved his present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, and Titus unto Dalmatia. See, Paul is lonesome. These people are running off. Now, Crescens, by the way, is you try to investigate some of these people. Obviously, Demas was, you know, forsook him. Crescens went off to Galatia. He may have been, some scholars believe he was one of the 70 that are spoken of in the Gospels. They, there's also traditions that he founded the church in Vienna. 
But uh, these are without any real trustworthy basis. They're just uh, traditions within the church literature. Paul continues, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Now, Mark here, uh, Mark here is John Mark. That is his Jewish name. Mark was his Roman name, okay? And uh, it's interesting. It's been more than 10 years since they had the big argument. Barnabas and Paul had a big dispute over Mark and split up. That breach had separated Paul and Barnabas. It apparently has now healed, and Mark has earned his spurs with Paul. He apparently, being very Jewish was unwilling to go up into Galatia. That's where he balked and went home. Or in, it was it in Cyprus. Anyway, uh, uh, he, he left for whatever reason. He split off. And, and, and uh, Paul and Barnabas really, uh, I mean, uh, Paul really was upset by that. And Barnabas takes, Paul, uh, takes uh, Mark under wing. And that's when Paul picks up Silas. And they, they had this, this big dispute. Because apparently Paul looked at Mark as a young, spoiled background. He was very, come from a very wealthy family. And there are traditions that he might have been the young man that fled Gethsemane in the linen and all that, uh, virtually naked, etc. There's, uh, there's, there's a lot of inferential suggestions about Mark. But in any case, he was young and from a wealthy background, and apparently Paul had disdain for him because he just didn't, st- from Paul's point of view, didn't stay the course. He apparently re-earned his spurs, so to speak, and by now, 10 years later, he is, Paul reinstates him. It says, take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. So Paul's forgiven Mark for whatever it's worth. After Paul's death, Mark becomes Peter's amanuensis, or secretary, comedy. The, the gospel of Mark is really Peter's, Peter's gospel. Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. Paul had trusted Tychicus to deliver the circular letters, not just to all proconsular Asia. Ephesians, Laodicea, and Laodicea and Colossians were about one mile apart. They're not very far away from each other. But Tychicus delivers those epistles. And in Colossus, Tychicus would plead the case of Onesimus, who had accompanied him from Rome. Onesimus is uh, the runaway slave that he writes to Philemon to take back and so forth. And that there's a very charming example of intercession in this little letter that Paul writes to Philemon on the case of Onesimus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, especially the parchments. Troas was a chief city in northwest Asia, uh, Asia Minor, that is, and, and uh, it was on the coast of Asia in the Roman province. When we say Asia, we mean the Roman province of Asia. It was at Troas that Paul raised uh, Eutychus from the dead, back in Acts 20. We're not sure who Carpus was as we try to search the literature, uh, but it's clear that Paul had a lot of confidence in him, not only just because his cloak is there, but because these priceless books and parchments were left there. I want to talk about them briefly. Paul uses here, in verse 13, a technical term, membrane, which is a Latin word that was transcribed into Greek, referring to a parchment notebook. You need to understand that up till now, people use scrolls. That's why I use all the Old Testament. I use a little diagram, you know, obviously scrolls to Old Testament and a little parchment for New Testament. Just as we pop back and forth, people are conscious of my older New Testament. That's why I use that little style thing in the, in the graphics here. But the point is, right about now, people are discovering parchments and we, they put them in the form of pages in a book rather than scrolls. It's a lot more practical. You can find your way around. So those, that's called a codex. Or codice is a plural, but codex. And uh, 
Uh, so the, it, the, what, what Paul is talking about here, the membrane may have been a predecessor to what we now know as a codex, or what you and I would call a book, in contrast to a scroll. And uh, they're written on, see, because they were written writing on both sides of the parchment, they were small, often roughly pocket-sized, and uh, obviously a lot easier to handle, you can skip around and, and so forth. And so that led ultimately to a departure from the whole concept of scrolls. And so, uh, now, the other thing, you and I tend to take for granted the uh, information appliances we have today. We make copies of documents with a machine, in color if we like. In the ancient world, all copies had to be done by hand. That's why they call them manuscripts. It's a script by hand. That's what the word manuscript means. It's handwritten. You and I probably have no real capacity to imagine the significance of what happened in the 15th century when Johannes Gutenberg invented movable type which led to the field of printing. Can you imagine assembling the Bible letter by letter with little pieces of lead? That's what they did. And, and, uh, and that ushered in a whole revolution. That allowed people who never had their hands on a Bible to get copies, get access to them. And so by doing a moving type, I won't get into all technology, but basically the moving type is what led to what we know today as printing in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, the traditional form. Let's realize the technology that led to the Reformation, Gutenberg's Bible, in effect. With the technology we have today, the technologies of today, we have information appliances where we can carry a telephone and in, as an incidental feature of this telephone, I carry six Bibles. They're searchable in Greek or Hebrew. I've got several Bible dictionaries. I have the New American Standard. I have, an, I have anyway, three handful. I think six different translations. Word searchable. And it's in my phone. So if I'm, if I'm 15 minutes early to an appointment, I can sit there and, you know, knock off something. See? PDA, personal digital assistant. Computers. My laptop that I travel with on a plane. I have more books in that in that thing that, than in most libraries, and I can search them word search. Other word searchable. I don't have to read the Antonicene Fathers, thirty volumes, to find out what Eusebius said about what. I can go through and ask it, and it'll tell me. It'll pick those places. I can also ask it to summarize. If I have a thirty-page essay, I can put a summarized thing, and it'll highlight the important twenty-five percent of that. You say, how does it do that by statistics? Word mechanical linguistics, podcast. We're getting into some of these. There, you know, you know, you know what kilobytes are, right? Gigabytes. That's a thousand kilobytes. Terabytes. That's a thousand gigabytes. You know what those are? Those are, you know, you know what a byte is. That's a typewriter stroke, in effect. Right? Do you know what a moabyte is? <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. Did you get it? Oh, took it. That is so bad, I had to work it in. I can use Hebrew and Greek without knowing Hebrew and Greek with my computer. It'll diagram the sentences for me. If I put my cursor on any English word, it'll tell me what's behind that in Greek or Hebrew or whatever. And so on. Then there's the internet. Unfathomable resource on the internet. You can find out anything on the internet, if you know how. And... Uh, you also can participate in a borderless fellowship around the world. When you get into one of our classrooms of 12 people, they can be from any of 17 countries. And you get to know them, amazingly enough. Let's talk a little bit about advanced media, and, and so just to give you a feeling for what's possible here. 
MP3, on, on a single CD, you can get 30 hours of audio plus notes plus 1,500 computer-aided diagrams. And one little, you know, and DVDs, you're all familiar with DVDs, but think of how phenomenal that is. The Blue Letter Bible on the internet. Free. I'll give you you can not only get, any, get anywhere in the Bible you want, there's a little place you can click, and it'll give you treasury of scriptural knowledge. It'll give you a concordance in either Greek or Hebrew, a list of the audio, a study tools, all a list of all the commentaries that are available that you can then take a look at. It gives you hymns and maps and judges that involve that verse, give you all kinds of versions and translations and dictionary aids. They're all there. You just click, and they're there. Okay? Then that's, that's, that's available to you free on the Internet. We helped get that started. But um, on your computer, there is a number of things. Esword is terrific, powerful, and it's free. Libronics has a huge library of thousands of volumes that you can add to it if you like. BibleSoft is probably the most incredible search machine you could imagine. You can ask it to give me all, show me the verses where the word sword is there, but the word father is not within three spaces, three verses of it. Not that that's useful. And it'll, it'll take less than a second and kill you, which it, that fit those criteria. In any language, the Greek, the Hebrew, the English, what have you. It's probably the exegete's main tool by hermeneutica. We call it Bible stuff. It's probably the thing I use the most that happens. Got used to it. Okay. But this is e-sword. You can, you can cl click on any of the verses, or you can click on the, the, uh, the uh, Strong's number and so forth, and it'll, it'll uh, zero right in. There's a whole bunch of, I won't, I won't, uh, in terms of uh, the different verses, and it'll diagram those and, and highlight the key words and what they mean, and it's all interactive as you do this. It's all free, by the way. You can load it on your computer free. And uh, it'll copy the verses, of course, and put it into your word process or whatever. And... Uh, you take an international standard version. You can't get it in the market yet, but it's in, it's in the computer thing if you want to look at a, at a modern, uh, competent uh, translation of it. And uh, so, but uh, it gives you all the list of verses that affect that same thing. And uh, on it goes, it goes. So, how, and if you click on any particular verse, it'll tell you what that, that's referring to. It'll give you that verse, pop it up for you. What did it say? Oh, yeah, right, gotcha. So... And you can go to the Strong's numbers if that's more comfortable. You don't have to know the Hebrew or Greek, but it'll explain what that means and so forth. And so on it goes. I, 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 won't do, I don't want this to be a whole, you know, it'll contrast the King James, the International Standard, New SV, whichever translations you want. This is all free. This is ESORD, okay? And uh, it'll also uh, give you the, you know, the commentary stuff and so forth. And, and oh, and by the way, it'll also give you highlighted the relevant parts of that, if you want. So, and maps and all that sort of thing where you can find your way around, that in itself is incredibly valuable. And Libronics has another thing where you have literally thousands of commentaries that are all, you, you mention a verse and it'll open all the commentaries in your collection to that, the comments on that verse that you can just pop through that if you want. And uh, you can do in about 30 minutes what it used to take six months by using conventional t t tools. This is Bible Works. This is the one I use the most of. And uh, it's just, again, I, I'm not here to make a thing for that. But there's something else, the little PDA, where you've got, say, the, the, the Bible in it. And uh, 
There's something else you can do. You can, eSword has a free version for this. There's two software companies that make software for these, Liridian and Olive Tree. They're both outstanding. They're both, you can't buy anything in them that costs more than 10 or 20 or 30 dollars. They're not expensive to buy this and that. They're different things you want, but not much. So they're very inexpensive, and some are even free. Um, and uh, again, this is eSword on one of these. And, uh, uh, but I want to talk about podcasting. You have an iPod? How many know what an iPod is? Okay, it's 70%. That's pretty good. Okay. Um, the iPod. Um, on the internet, you can automatically have your co personal computer updated with the study of the week, and it will automatically put that on your iPod while you're recharging your iPod. You've got your iPod. At the end of the day, you plug it in your charger. Your personal computer can update the study of the week on there, and that now in today's world can include video. So you can watch or listen while you're jogging, you can get your, you know, 60-minute Bible study in while you're jogging or whatever. So those are the tools. Let's get back to let's get back to Paul. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou aware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. Paul had previously delivered him to Satan back in 1 Corinthians 5 and, and 2 Corinthians 12. Because he withstood the puzzle, and he made a shipwreck of faith, and even was even blasphemed with Hymenaeus, who we talked to talked a little while ago. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Can you imagine how that must have felt? I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Sounds like Stephen, doesn't it? Hmm? Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, and by me the preaching might be fully known, and that. All the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. What lion do you think he's talking about? Uh, Satan. Good for you. Exactly. He goes about as a roaring lion. I believe that's the idiom. I don't, I'm not saying he didn't get saved from a big lion, but you don't have to go that far to uh, not do violence to the passage. But he was forgiving even to the end. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. What does that tell you about the kingdom? It's yet future. It's not there yet. See, it's a few, when Christ, the kingdom is when he returns to establish his kingdom, is my point I'm trying to get here. Salute Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Priscilla is the endearment form of Prisca, by the way. So it's Priscilla and Aquila, you're familiar from, it comes up many times, I think five or six times in, in the letters. And Aquila uh, was the native of Pontus, doubtless one of the colony of Jews mentioned in Acts 2 and 1 Peter 1. They're refugees from the Edict of Claudius who, who uh, ordered all Jews out of Rome, so they had to leave Rome. That gets relieved and they get back to Rome and they see Paul. But the point is, they were expelled in the 50 to 52 AD was the period of time that uh, there was this big purge in Rome for Jews. Paul will meet them all in Corinth in Acts 18. They're the ones that taught Apollos the correct way in Ephesus in Acts 18. Now, Onesiphorus, is, uh, he'd come from Ephesus to Rome. It was to Paul that the church at Ephesus owed its entire origin, and he was very sensitive to that. They were, they were very, very uh, appreciative of the fact their existence as, as believers, they indebted to Paul. And so uh, they knew that they were indebted uh, to Paul because that's how they got to know Christ. So Onesiphorus is almost like an a, a, um, ambassador from them in that regard. 
when he learned that Paul was in prison, he sought him out and apparently at great risk to himself um, came to visit Paul. And so Paul recognized that. He continues these things. Erastus abode in Corinth, but Trophimus I have, have I left at Miletum sick. Erastus was sent with Timothy from Ephesus to Macedonia while Paul was in Asia for a while. That's in Acts 19. And he apparently, he's described in Romans 16 as the treasurer of the city. And that confuses a lot of scholars. Maybe there are different Erastuses. The other thing that seems logical is that he may earlier have been this very prominent position. He became a believer and he's just identified with that label of his previous office, if you follow me. The rest of the treasure city sent, you know, he sent greetings to the Christians in Rome. And Paul may simply be designating him by an office he once held, which he gave up to engage in missionary work. That's one conjecture of the authors that makes sense to me, but we don't know for sure. Do thy diligence to come before winter. And uh, it could be because he wanted that cloak that he talked about a few verses ago. There are some commentators that make that. That's their con- well, he just wanted a cloak because it's going to be cold. No, there's another reason, I think. I think he was more concerned about the sailing conditions in the winter. Try to come before the, it re- you know, the, the, the Adriatic gets pretty rough in the winter. Uh, Abul discreetly and Pudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. You know, with all the people that are, dis- you know, that abandoned him, it's nice to find someone there that was true and apparently, Eubulus was one of those. But these people are something else again. Claudia. She's mentioned with Prudence, whose wife she afterward became. He was a Roman knight. She was a Briton, surnamed Rafina. In 1772, according to some accounts that I've dug up here, a marble was dug up at Chichester mentioning Cogedanus, which uh, surnamed Claudius from his patron emperor's name, Pudence is also mentioned, Cogenus, son, his son-in-law. So he becomes his son-in-law. So the daughter would be Claudia, probably sent from Rome for education as a pledge of her father's fidelity. There she was put under the patronage of Paponia, the wife of Aulus Plautius, the conqueror of Britain, quite a famous guy. Pomponia was accused of foreign superstitions in AD 57, probably Christianity is recorded as a she may have learned Christianity from Ponia, who had took from her the surname of the Pontanian clan. All of this is in Tacitus' annals. You say, gee, that's pretty impressive. Well, be careful. Lots of different scholars have different views of some of these. Um, they build these elaborate theories from little hints there and there, and they may be right. But I'm always reminded of the danger of make, coming to vast conclusions from half-vast data. Okay, you've got to say that very carefully, right? Linus, there is a tradition that Linus was a bishop of the church at Rome. A list by Irenaeus, roughly second century before Christ, I mean after Christ, uh, commences with Linus, whom he identifies with a person of a name mentioned by Paul and whom he states to have been entrusted with the office of the bishopric by the apostles. So this might have been that Linus. Irenaeus thought so, and he wasn't that far removed. But the puzzling thing is, why is Linus listed between Claudia and Pudens, if all that other stuff was true? So something doesn't quite compute here, and I'm not make, it's not that big a deal one way or the other. I want you to be aware of the fact that you can dig in through some of the research uh, uh, helps and get some glimmers of ideas, but they're not necessarily trustworthy or really solid. They're just conjectures by various scholars. So we wrap it up. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen.
And the second letter to Timothy is uh, ordained and the first bishop of the Church of Ephesians was written from Rome when Paul was brought before Nero the second time. And so ends this. And uh, so... Now, there's a couple of things about before we leave this last verse, I think, that are useful to notice. Christ be, Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. That word in the Greek is singular, okay? Grace be with you is plural. Uh, what, what do you make of that? See, on the one hand, all that other stuff I don't make too much of. This I find interesting because it proves that the letter was intended to be read by the church. The letter is to Timothy, but he offers grace to all the readers. So they were intended to be circulated. And they were regarded by the early church as scripture. We need to understand that. There's proof of that in the text. Okay, so for the next session, you want to read the epistle to Titus. And with that, we'll stand for a closing word of prayer. Well, Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for this study. We thank you for the opportunity to explore your word. And we also thank you, Father, for the incredible abundance of resources and helps and aids that are available today. We thank you, Father, for that it's so facile to explore your word with the tools that are so readily available, even some free of charge. We thank you, Father, for the time in which we live. But we also realize, Father, that too much is given, much is required. We pray, Father, that you would indeed help us to be more effective stewards of these incredible resources, that we might be effective ambassadors for our coming King. Not by power nor by might, but by your Spirit, Father. We just pray that you would indeed, through that Spirit, help each of us to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, as we commit ourselves into your hands without any reservations whatsoever, in the name of Yeshua, our Lord, our Savior, our King. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 2 Timothy. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, please visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time. When we begin a new series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.